Each of you should find something like this, or maybe a few extras around if they weren't all out, that has the scripture reading on it. So you can tell that I'm not just from up the road. Please don't say Canada. <laughs> from the United States of America. Uh, Tennessee to be sure. My name is Mark Scheibe. My wife is Liz. We have Anna with us and Hudson. We have a daughter Campbell as well. And our son, Hud uh, no, he's there. Our other son, Joshua. Uh, who is back in America at university. Um, so that's us. Oh, we have a dog, Bella. That's not our dog, but we have a dog, Bella. We have a cat named Theo. So that's actually all of us. So, um, But let us um, come together now as, as I have a few remarks for you and just an opportunity to open God's word for us that God may bless it. So... Let's read what I'd like to do, and you'll understand this as I go forward from here, but um, you'll notice there, the, there's two sides in front of Psalm 136. You probably read scripture, maybe you haven't, but what I'd like to do, and this, the reason we're going to do this is because this is how this would have been read throughout time for God's people. So a priest would have stood up, I'm not the priest, uh, would have stood up and read the first section or something like it. Anything from about God and his history and whatnot. And the people would have responded with the second part. For his steadfast love endures forever. So you get to participate. <clears throat> and I want to hear you. Okay? Um, so I'm going to read the first one of each. So you're going to read 26 times. For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? And um, so. <clears throat> and this is God's word. This uh, I'll tell you more about the psalm here in a minute. But let's see if we can't do this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Ah, king of Bashan. 
and gave their land as an heritage, a heritage to Israel's servant. It is he who remembered us in our low state and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. Good job. Let's pray and ask God to bless his word to us. Give thanks to the Lord for his good and steadfast love endures forever. Heavenly Father, it's, it sounds trite to refer to you just as good. For you're the quintessential unparalleled goodness. All goodness finds its source and meaning in you. Nothing compares to the grandeur of your steadfast love, specifically in Jesus. And because of his finished work, your love is immeasurable and wavering and inexhaustible. What peace and joy and freedom you give us. Father, we know that you love us. We hear that you love us. Would you show us this morning as we see your steadfast love, as we remember today, as we look upon your steadfast love, we might we remember and know that it lasts forever. It has no end. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the psalm... The psalm was probably written in case something I want to geek you out a little bit. Oh, yeah, the kids, sorry. Boy, y'all did well to stay in there. She just said, uh, Mr. Shivey, I need to go play, please. Okay. All right. Sorry. I remember the prayer. I forgot that. So, forget kids, remember prayer. Um, this, this psalm is known as the Great Wall, the Great Thanksgiving. Uh, by the people here, the, the Jewish people would have sung this, uh, repeated this during Passover, probably ended with it during Passover, the, 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 the time when they remembered God's great leadership, their redemption um, of God, the story of God, his steadfast love. This repetition, this repetition, did, did anyone sort of get bored with it? I saw my son roll his eyes, but anyone else were like, and his steadfast love in earth forever. I think we do that in our lives. We've, we've become sort of familiar with, eh, it's steadfast endures forever. Um, my hope for myself and for you is that that would not be the case. It's like, steadfast love endures. Sort of like it builds and it's a drum beat. If we had drums here, it'd be like, it's a rhythm of a prayer. For the people of God, it's a rhythm in life. It's steadfast love. There's nothing else. It endures Forever. It's, it's there from the beginning. It's there throughout history. It's there with us now. His steadfast love endures forever. Antiphonal. This repetition. This chorus. And I, I'll be honest. I've seen this song many times in my life. I've never preached on it. Um, but I would do the same thing. I probably haven't even read the whole thing before. Just for the fact that it's like, oh, it says the same thing. It's, you know. So thank God that I had time to read it and study it this week. Um. But there's two things before we sort of, I want us to, to, to consider this thanksgiving for an enduring love. How we give thanks to God for his enduring, his steadfast love. And there's, there's two things in particular that I want us to see just that sort of 
mark the psalm, and I want us to get in with the, with the author, who probably was Hezekiah. So that means this psalm was written post-exile. Like people of God got out of exile, the Babylonian captivity, you know, some of your church history. Cyrus the Great, the great Persian, who led them out of captivity, praised God at the end of 2 Chronicles. I know you've read 2 Chronicles through and through uh, at the very end, which is the very last verse of the Old Testament in the order it would be in originally, would say, praise be to the God of heaven, um, which is how this song ends as well. So there's two things here in particular, like I said, that just as an intro, is one is that there's a call here to give thanks. And really, it's probably more like a command. Now, I grew up in the southern United States, in Tennessee, in case you didn't hear that, Tennessee. Um, and I would have been drilled into my head to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, please, and thank you. I would like, say thank you, say thank you. My kids could tell you that I tried to say thank you, right? You know, thankful, you're grateful that this is an important thing, and surely the people of God, that should be something that just uh, goes with us, that we are a grateful people, that we are people of gratitude for what God has done. And so the, the author here, the psalmist, is saying, oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks. And he says it four times. So there's this call, this command to give thanks, this, uh, this remembrance, if you will. Don't forget much like we have Remembrance Day, of course, today, as you might know. Right? There's a, there's, why do we have Remembrance Day? Because we often forget. We are forgetful people. The psalmist knows our hearts. He knows his own heart. Say, remember, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. So there's one, it's just he's leading God to praise. The, the same word here, give thanks, would be praise the Lord or bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Words like that's the same Hebrew word. It's a normal Christian practice, shouldn't it be, to have a life of gratitude. All that we've been given to live out of that. So he's calling them to give thanks. But also there's this chorus, right? The one you read, for his steadfast love endures forever. What is this steadfast love? Well, if you had gone to seminary with me and heard my Old Testament Hebrew, which he read Hebrew sort of as he taught, but he called this hesed. This is a word, you know, God's loving kindness. It's steadfast forever, never ending, never unwavering, constant, without end love. This quintessential trademark of our God, to never let go, to never end, to never waver. Romans 8.31 tells us about this love. I'm going to read this to you. It's a great part of God's everlasting love. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us. That's that's when we think about love here, we think about his steadfast love, that's what I want you to have in mind. His steadfast love. It's the kind of love we can't sing enough praise for, we can't sing it earnestly enough to make it any better. It is his steadfast love. 
And then otherwise, I want you to see, notice on your sheet there in the first few verses. Do you notice there in, let's see, first we see to the Lord. Notice how Lord is all capitalized, right? In the first week of things to the Lord. That is the name of God, Yahweh. That name would have not been spoken by Hebrew people. It's the name of God that you don't speak. You, you would be like killed dead if you said his name out loud. He's so holy. The second verse, give thanks to the God of gods. That's Elohim. That's the creator God. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. That is Adonai. And then at the end, the last verse you see in 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. That is in some ways just El. If you think of like Elohim, just El. It's common, if you will, if you can think of that like a common name of God. The God of all things of heaven. It's the name Cyrus, the pagan king would have uttered in his place of thanks to God, the God of heaven. What do you think he's getting at by using these different names of God? Is he? It, it's much like when you go to shop for diamonds. You look at it from all different angles. The psalmist here is saying God's love is just continually as you turn and turn it. And, and God himself has so many facets to his love, to who he is. And he wants that to shine. He wants you to realize that this is the God of all gods. He's Lord of all lords, King of all kings. He made everything. He is Yahweh. He is that God, the God. So he gives you all these things. Who is it we're supposed to praise? The Lord, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven. This is the God we are to give thanks to. And so it forms for us a foundation, a grounds for the love of God himself. That his steadfast love endures forever. So I want that to you use those three, sort of the three ways in which God is, is explained or said in his names to lead us. Um, and I think it breaks out, the passage breaks out that way. So, for instance, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Well, when you think of God as good, where in the, where in the Bible have you heard it was good? Creation, right? Spoken into being and it was, and he saw it and it was good. And it was good. It was, like the, it was like the chorus of creation, and it was good, and it was all very good. And he sat and rested after all he created. So we have verses 4 through 9 that talk about, God, in history, God's creator. He's God as creator. So God is good in what he's created. And then the God is great. Verse 2 and 3 give us the God of all gods, Lord of all lords. He is great. So we want to give thanks for an enduring love of the God who is good, God who is great, and the God who is gracious. And that's the last bit there where he remembers and rescues us in the last verses. So that's going to lead us. So we need to give thanks for a steadfast love for a God who is good. This has to do with his character. You know, I, I said in my prayer, it's weird to say God is good. I, I don't know if you know what I mean, but it, it, it sounds like a word that's not excuse this, good enough? It's, it's not enough. But he is good. And the thing about his goodness is it is the thing that sort of grabs all of his character into one. He's merciful, but he's good. He's good because he's good in mercy. He's good in love, his love, and that makes him good. Everything he does is good. He cannot be evil. He cannot be part of evil. So he is the antithesis. He is the good. It is his goodness, deeply historical, unparalleled, the source of who he is. 
It's, if you will, his essential quality. All the other, in some ways, flow out of his goodness. James 1, New Testament tells us, Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. From the Father, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. His goodness is unchangeable. He is good. He is not evil. He cannot sin. He's not tempted. His goodness is his holiness, his set-apartness. His goodness is what punishes evil and abhors it. He is just also in his goodness. His wrath in the service of divine justice is good. He is good in all his actions towards creation. He is kind and loving and giving. We hear all things work together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. His holy love was good in punishing Jesus. Both his wrath and his mercy came together because he is good. Sin could not be unpunished. His love could not be get, not given. And in Christ we get both. In his death, which we will celebrate in communion in a bit. <clears throat> Exodus also tells us that the Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, visiting goodness to his people. So it's God's goodness that is on display here. It's, his, it's part of his deity, part of who he is. And it's shown particularly in verses 4 through 9 through his creation. Look with me just the first parts. To him who alone does great wonders. Every, when I read this, I was thinking of creation. I could not help but think of Prince of Egypt. And if I had like slides that you'll probably normally have, I would have some picture of, you know, see his wonders. Maybe y'all don't know that part. That's important to me. Um... But to see his wonders. And that's when the plagues happen and when he begins to show and try to capture and deliver to, to deliver his people from captivity. So him alone who does great wonders. No one else does wonderful things. You know, he does he's alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. Verse six, to him who spread out the earth above the waters. Verse seven, to him who made great lights. Verse eight, the sun to rule over the day. Verse nine, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. It was in his goodness that God created all things. From heaven to earth, sky to land, everything in it from sun to moon. And he saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So we give thanks to him for his steadfast love, because God is good. But also he's great. Not just good, which he is good. But he's great. Verse 2 and 3 says that he's the God of give thanks to the God of gods and Lord of lords. It is in his being that he's great. He is the God. There is no one like him. There's no one that ever be like him. There are only one of the gods and demigods, handmade idols and lifeless idol uh, deities, empty nothings, broken cisterns, all of which pine and try to get we pine and try to get life from. And in the first commandment of all all the commandments we read, we shall have no other gods before me. God protecting his greatness, his goodness, his godness, if you will. For if you break the first commandment, you're breaking all of them. No other gods before me. He's Lord of Lord, King of Kings. No other king or lord in history could ever match his kingdom and his kingship and his rule. Here he is sovereign. It's in his greatness that is unmatched. But it's also in his greatness where his goodness 
to come together to make sovereignly working all things out for his glory and for the good of his people. His goodness, his character, his deity, his greatness, his kingship, his sovereignty, controlling and ruling and sustaining all things. Sounds like a God worth praising. <laughs> right? Are you getting the picture? And all these things would give thanks to him. His steadfast love endures forever. Not just who he is, but what he does by creation, but also this redemption story. Verses 10 through 22 give us two epic events in the history of God's people and redemption. The Exodus, the Red Sea. It continues with them going into the wilderness and then also the conquering and dividing of the land. I just gave you the first six books of the Old Testament, seven books of the Old Testament. Right? The other ones help support those in some ways. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Right? Exodus, the pinnacle event, if you will, of salvation, the redemption of God's people in captivity for over 400 years by cruel pagan Pharaoh. And the great God shows up and he delivers and he directs his people. He didn't just create creation. He also created a people for himself. A world, not just a creation that could witness to him, but also a people who would be witnesses to his love and his goodness and his greatness. This is his providence over them. Now, I don't know if anyone noticed, maybe y'all have been in church a lot of your life, but when you get to verse 10 and we start talking about God's goodness and his greatness, we some of us may have gone, whew, I know God's good and God of love. We're talking about steadfast love endures forever. But he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Smite is the word. A lot, a lot of people, including ourselves if we're honest, have a hard time with a God who is all-loving, sovereign, and yet he declares holy wars. And he strikes down firstborns. I don't know where you sit with it. We have it in history. But that's his God and his goodness and his wrath. He is delivering his people. He is bringing them out. And in a minute, I'll just go ahead and give you the preview. He had his own firstborn that he struck down. For you. Jesus. His one and only. That's a little preview. We're getting there. But he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Now he just didn't all of a sudden go... Boom. And strike him down. If you know the story, if you read about it in the plagues and in Pharaoh, maybe you've seen the movie, right? Prince of Egypt and some other movies, right? He has warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. I could go ten times. Nine plagues. Flies. Now, I would have given up on gnats. Right? Boils. Rivers turning to blood. Frogs, no thanks, right? I mean, seriously, locusts. I mean, God was patient in his kindness and mercy before doing this. Very long-suffering. 
but his mercy and his love for his people won the day because he is great and good. He had to give a serious wake-up call to Egypt to favor to know he is not God. He is not great. He is not good. So he struck down those in Egypt who did not call on him. He even gave them an opportunity to call on the name of Jesus. Do you remember the story of Passover where they put blood and they stick it over their doors? And when, when the, the wrath of God came through that night, if there was blood on the doors, it passed by that house. There was opportunity to not have your firstborn struck down. The loving kindness of God, the patience of God. Right? Don't miss that part of who he is. They did not believe in the blood of the Lamb. They were struck down. He delivered his people. He delivered those who would believe in him. For God had promised that he would do just this. In Exodus 6. Good, my Bible skills are going. I want to read Exodus 6 to you. The Lord said to Moses, You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel and the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am your Lord because I brought you out of from under the burden of the Egyptians. Another warning. Another opportunity. God's long-suffering. But his steadfast love must endure forever. And so he fulfilled the promise he gave to them. That he would deliver them. And so it tells us he struck down the firstborn. He brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm. Did you just hear that in Exodus 6? Strong hand and an outstretched arm. Then who divided the sea. Israel passed through it. But the Exodus, the Red Sea, where the Egyptians, still not getting the point, pursued God's people, thinking, we can be just like them. We'll go through on dry ground. Water closed up on them. Another deliverance. A, a separation of God with his people from evil people. From evil. What a good and great God. For his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is giving us a history lesson. Look how good God is. Look how great He is. He directs them through the wilderness. Although the Egyptians didn't get it, sometimes we, as God's people, don't get it. So they wandered for years and years, but God directed them. He gave them fire by night, a cloud by day, bread every day. He led them through Moses. He met with Moses in the tent of meeting. The wanderings are chronicled for you if you want to go read Numbers this afternoon. 
He gave them water from rocks, victories over enemies. God's mercy was steadfast even in the wilderness. And then 17 through 22 chronicles for us God fighting for his people in the conquest of the land. He had promised them, Canaan, the promised land, their inheritance. They had deed to that land. God created it. He gave it to them. It was theirs, and he took it back. He took what was rightfully theirs, and he fought great pagan kings. Land of Anakai, but Pharaoh, the Babylonians, Persians, Romans, whoever you could think of. God's kindness and mercy and faithfulness gave them what was theirs, their inheritance. It says heritage. So his goodness and his greatness triumphed over evil, wicked, tyrannical, not so great kings who ruled over Israel with a ruthless pagan, like a skillful surgeon taking out cancer from the body. God in his kindness, in his steadfast love, took out, struck down, and took out the pagans. Creating, redeeming, delivering, providing, interceding God for his steadfast love endures forever. So we get to verse 23 to the end. This is, we've seen a God who's good. He's great. He's also gracious. He's not only God to just his people. He's God of all things. He's trying to redeem all things. To save the lost. One day all things. Every knee will bow to Jesus. He's a redeeming God. But he, as we are remembering, I want you to see here that God is the one too, thankfully, who remembers. And he rescues. The very passage tells us. It's almost as if the psalmist has been leading this antiphonal story. Him who struck down, and him who saved, and him who led you through the wilderness, and him who... And he switches here. Notice it's not just to him, to him, to him. Notice here in verse 23, it is he who... It's as if he's like me, standing, and all of a sudden he turns with them. It is he... I'm with you. It is he who remembered us in our lives. It's he who remembered us in our lowest state. It's he who rescued us from our enemies. This is again a post-exilic people out of the exiles, covenant people, gracious to remember them. They were set apart for him. He's he with us, like them, hopefully will enter, not just in a history lesson. This is our story. If you are God's people, this is your people. He's been ascribing praise and thanks to God. Now stepping out, stepping into history himself and putting everyone in it, he is leading in thanksgiving. He is giving thanks. The very thing he commanded and called them to do. So not only has Israel been rescued and redeemed and given food, to all flesh, it says in 25. This creator God has given good gifts. He's given all food to everyone. He has given opportunity. And he's a God who continues not just to have restored and rescued and redeemed Israel, but he has done that for you and for me. And all who would call on the name of Jesus. 
Their story is our story. Their history is our history. Is their God your God? Is your God good? Is he great? Is he also gracious? Have you found him in your lotus state? Or better yet, has he found you? In our own state of sin and misery? Do you know this Lord, this, this God of gods, this good God, the, the King of all kings, sovereign Lord, he has come to feed you. The word here for food is bread. Like manna, the bread from heaven that he gave them. We have Jesus who says, I am the bread from heaven. Moses gave you that bread. I tell you, God gives you this bread. And John. He is the ultimate redeemer and a rescuer. He is God with man. He has come down. He is the good God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the exact representation of God himself, it tells us in Hebrews 1. He is the picture of God's unfailing, steadfast love that it will endure forever. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But whoever who believes shall have eternal life. You see, this is, this is a history. This is Jesus. We prepare now for this table, for these elements of bread and wine. That's Jesus' bread and body and blood. We need to remember, as God has remembered us in this table of remembrance, just how far the good and great and gracious is our God, sending his son Jesus into history, his firstborn struck down, his blood shed for your sins, so that God's wrath may pass over. He too was led through a wilderness for your sake, that you might not ever experience that kind of wilderness. Ultimately directed by God with outstretched arms, on the cross, the greatest act of God's love, assuaging his wrath and his mercy, striking a blow, not to Jesus, yes, physically, but a blow to all kings and all kingdoms, that he is God, and that he is a redeeming God, that he has provided that which you absolutely need. That whoever believes will have an everlasting inheritance. Is this not worthy of praise? Is he not? For his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray.